The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. If you didn't hear enough holiday things on yesterday's live show, we'll remedy that with our guest for Live Music Friday, Kimaya Diggs. Not only is she our first repeat visitor, or maybe second, to the studio, but she's got a holiday show happening at the Drake tomorrow, and we're pretty sure she'll help us get into the spirit. Plus, we'll find out about a queer-run, queer-led BIPOC Makers Market welcoming everyone of all accessibilities to Holyoke tomorrow with organizer Ebby Russell. And the last days of the year are when bubbles come to mind, so we'll sip some sparkling wines with Michael Quinlan, Table & Vine Ambassador. But first, we weren't able to get our Capitol Hill insights yesterday, so let's remedy that. I'm finishing up my holiday shopping list, Congressman McGovern. Do you want that George Santos cameo that I have you down for still? I think I think his price has gone up. Yeah, it really um, has. Hey, Gary Fortuna. George Santos here. I just wanted to stop by to congratulate you for winning the Clearwater, Florida beef eating contest. Eating six pounds of loose ground beef in under 30 minutes is a all-time new record. He said that he's made more money in like two weeks than he made in an entire year in Congress. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I've heard and seen enough of George Santos when he was here. So I, I don't hope, right. I hope I don't have to see him or hear him again. Crossing so. that off the list then. Okay. Time for a, a one day late weekly check-in with our U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts and the ranking member of the Rules Committee. We were at the Norman Rockwell Museum on Thursday. So here we are with the Congressman. Now that Congress has wrapped for the year, but not without a lot of drama. You posted earlier this week, Congressman McGovern, that you took the floor to debunk Republicans' bogus impeachment sham. After a year wasting time and money, their own investigation, their own witnesses, their own internal documents have proven one thing. POTUS Biden is a man of honesty and integrity who follows the law. A fiery speech went along with that on the floor of the House, and yet the mostly Republican House has voted to formalize an impeachment inquiry. What is the difference for those who aren't political insiders between an impeachment and an impeachment inquiry, and what is how is this going to differ differentiate from what has been going on already over the last year into investigations into the president? Well, there has been an inquiry going on for over a year. So, I mean, it's not like this is the beginning of something. Uh, Really, this should be the end of something because that inquiry has basically found nothing. All these conspiracy theories that keep getting repeated on Newsmax and Fox News, I mean, they've all been debunked. And a lot of what has gone on has been done in secret which really, I think, is an affront to the American people. People are asked to come up and testify in secret, and then the chairs of these committees, Jim Jordan and Comer, get up on Fox News and cherry-pick what they want and distort things and ruin people's reputations. So, I mean, I think that's their M.O. Let me stop you right there, because in in the Rules Committee, there was some drama surrounding this as well, where there was a clause taken out about an open and transparent clause in the rules for this impeachment inquiry that was taken out. Talk about what that was, what it means, and why it was taken out. Well, when we did our impeachment inquiry against Donald Trump, you know, we had that clause in there that this has to be an open and transparent process. People need to have confidence that, in fact, this was done appropriately. We also had an amendment in the Rules Committee saying that you you have to do at least one public hearing, at least one. And both of those amendments were turned down. So it tells you a lot about where they're going. The, The official explanation why the words open and transparent were removed from the inquiry, according to one of the speaker's top aides, was because 
the resolution was too wordy. Well, I mean, really, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, I mean, really, you know, open and, and transfer three words, all right? And they're important words. But look, you know, Hunter Biden was up here yesterday taking Comer up on his offer a while ago. He said, I, I want Hunter up here to testify. He could testify in secret or he could testify in public. Well, he wants to testify in public, but now Comer wants him to testify in secret. And what Hunter Biden is expressing, I think legitimately, and his lawyer is, is that we're not going to do that because everybody who testifies in secret, you distort their testimony. And then you won't release the transcripts. So people are getting death threats. People's reputations are being ruined. So come on. We were here. We were we were doing this for one reason. Donald Trump ordered the Republicans to do this. When Donald Trump says jump, their response is how high. And, you know, Jamie Raskin said yesterday on the House floor, you know, and, you know, when you read a who done it, you know, you know what the crime is. And then you you figure out who done it, right? Here they they know who done it, but they can't figure out a crime. They can't figure out an offense. In the rules committee, we asked over and over and over, what what is the offense? What is the crime you are looking for? And they kept on saying, well, that's what this inquiry is about to find one. Well, you spent a year doing this, and you've got nothing. So again, this seems odd. I mean, make up a crime or something. But I mean, the, the idea of saying we need to launch an impeachment inquiry so we can find something to pin on Joe Biden because we get we haven't found anything yet. That's not a reason to go forward with an impeachment inquiry. But look, this is a foregone conclusion. Their intention is to bring uh, articles of impeachment to the floor uh, next year. Uh, this is not about transparency. These people are allergic to transparency. This is about vengeance. This is about settling scores. And it really is quite sad. I mean, you know, I'm not, Hunter Biden made some awful, awful mistakes. He's had a challenging life. I mean, he's uh, lost his, uh, his mother and his, some of his siblings in a, in a car crash and lost his brother to cancer. I mean, he's experienced a lot of trauma. Unfortunately, he turned to drugs and made some awful, awful mistakes. Uh, and he will pay for them. And he has paid for some of them already. He can be facing potential jail time, if, if depending on how those things turn out. But to try to exploit that, what, what they will have accomplished when all of this is done is they will they will have proved one thing, and that is they will have proved that Hunter Biden really is Joe Biden's son. Mm-hmm. That's about all they've been able to find uh, after a year and countless hours and millions of dollars of investigation. They've been able to prove that Hunter Biden is, in fact, Joe Biden's son. Before Congress closed this week, there was some big um, discussion on the Hill that had to do with the overseas wars that the United States is involved in. And according to Politico, there are some Democratic lawmakers that are frustrated with President Biden bypassing Congress to approve the direct sale of tank shells to Israel. What's your take on that situation? I mean, I think Congress's role, uh, no matter how dysfunctional we may be, should not be set to the sidelines. We ought to be voting on these things. Now, having said that, I mean, I'm sure from President Biden's point of view is like, we can't get Congress to vote on anything. And as we speak in, in, in the situation in Ukraine, I mean, they literally are out of, of everything. And Vladimir Putin is already publicly taking a victory lap saying that as soon as they, uh, they run out of military aid, it'll take a week for Russia to take over all of Ukraine. I mean, they've already, they're, Biden is trying to figure out, you know, what, what do you do? when you have uh, a Congress that won't even bring any of these things to the floor. 
We're speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, McGoverning with McGovern. We welcomed to our show earlier this week the cutest couple in nuclear disarmament, Tim and Wallace and Vicki Elson. And you this week took to the House floor to sound the alarm about nuclear weapons. We have had threats of potential nuclear weapons use in Ukraine between Russia with Israel and and Hamas. It looked like a very empty House, which isn't uncommon for the speeches that are given on the House floor. But uh, any resonance with the speech that you gave about the U.S. signing up with this international treaty to abolish nuclear weapons. I, I think we're getting people's attention. And look, you can't build the kind of movement that we need to build overnight, but we have to speak out more about it. And the fact of the matter is, over the last few years, you know, we have withdrawn and Russia has withdrawn from a number of agreements and treaties designed to limit our nuclear capabilities. So we are probably at the most insecure position uh, that we've ever been at since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so it, now's the time to sound the alarm bell. And we have leaders that are casually talking about using nuclear weapons. So nuclear weapons don't prevent wars. They may be used in wars. And we have so many nuclear weapons on this planet that this planet, as we know it, could be destroyed in one terrible nuclear flash. Anyway, I, I told you after I came back from uh, the UN that, you know, I was going to be more engaged on this. And Timmons and Vicky have been engaged in this for a long, long time. But I meant it. I mean, and we're going to keep at it and try to get as much attention as we can. Try See, we, we, we get legislation over the finish line that can get us back on track toward nuclear disarmament. Before Congress closed, they did deal with some important issues in the House of Representatives. A story in the New York Times, the headline, Got Time for Milk? An overwhelmed house somehow does with aid to Ukraine and Israel in limbo, a border deal elusive and a mountain of spending legislation left undone. The house turned its attention to whole milk in schools. And the idea being that there are some who want whole milk to be introduced into public schools again. And then there are others that think it's too fatty and filled with trans fat. Where do you come out in the great milk debate of 2023, (laughs) U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern? I'm for milk in schools. Whole Whole milk? And there is... Yeah, yeah. Okay. and I'm going to tell you why, because the science that I, you know, I've talked to nutritionists at Tufts and others, um, the science is now telling us that whole milk, the fat in whole milk actually is beneficial for the development of, of young children in terms of brain development and other development. And in fact, a glass of whole white milk is better for you than a glass of skimmed chocolate milk, which is available in our schools right now. Mm-hmm. And I think our dietary guidelines... This is my prediction. They get reviewed every two years, but either shortly or in two years from now will change to reflect that. I mean, I, I, because I think the nutritional science is moving in that direction. But some of the objection about doing what the Congress did was that, well, like we have a process. Let's just wait. And the problem with that is sometimes the process gets bogged down and bureaucracies take an awful long time to move forward. But nonetheless, I mean, I think this is not a bad thing. I think it's also good for our dairy farmers. But if we're really concerned about nutrition in schools, then we need to look at everything. There's still Mountain Dew soft drink machines in our in many of our schools. Some of the meals are not quite what they should be. And we need nutrition education because at the end of the day, we need people to start understanding what good food is and make those choices. Because over the last decade, notwithstanding all these new guidelines, obesity has actually increased uh, in this country amongst our kids. So we're missing something here. I mean, I, 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 I get the point about why are we doing that and not doing all this other stuff. We got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, I will just say 
Democrats are not in control of the agenda here. If we were, we would be scheduling a lot more stuff. But I, I voted for allowing milk to go into our schools. And it's worth noting 330 to 99 that undoes the ban on high fat milk in schools. Big fan of whole milk right here and also raw milk. But that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, and that's another story. Whole milk is delicious. though. Once I can't even drink skim milk anymore. It doesn't taste like milk. But you know what? We, we need to elevate nutrition education in our schools. Um, and I think there's a way to do it without having a separate course. You can le- you can teach nutrition lessons through math and science. Through lunch, you can you can yeah through lunch. Lunch could be an educational experience as well. That that's where we ought to focus more of our time. But we need we need to do a lot more in Congress than just that. U.S. Congressman from the Second Congressional District and the ranking member of the Rules Committee, Congressman Jim McGovern joins us every week. You can always send your questions for the congressman to us at thefab413 at nepm.org. Thank you as always. All right. All the best. Soon we'll break out the bubbly with Michael Quinlan of Table and Vine and get into the holiday spirit with Kimaya Diggs for Live Music Friday. And next we'll head to Holyoke to a maker's market celebrating the LGBTQIA plus BIPOC communities and artisans that you can shop at this weekend. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. So we have talked about a lot of makers markets in the area for the holiday seasons, getting your gifts extra locally from artisans in the area. But this one happening this Saturday in Holyoke is extra special because not only is it queer, it is BIPOC, which means Black, Indigenous, people of color. We are speaking with Ebby Russell, the organizer of the holiday queer QTBIPOC art market which is happening in Holyoke this weekend. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Khalees. <laughs> Excited to be here. <laughs> I mean, for all the reasons that I mentioned in the intro, this market I think is especially important, but why did you start this? I started this with my uh, partner artist who sadly couldn't be here today. They're prioritizing rest, which we uh, are fans of. Uh, my partner and I, Julissa Rodriguez, and I started this last year because, you know, especially around this season, you know, it's a low point of the year. This year in particular has been just really challenging with all of the things going on in the world and in our personal lives. They are linked. And we just wanted a time where we could really bring ourselves together as QT BIPOC family and community. The most important thing any time of year is connection. And we particularly created this space as people with disability justice um, in mind. And what that means is really practicing radical community care, being concerned that the ongoing COVID pandemic is still affecting so many people, so many black and brown and queer and trans lives especially. And there are so few places where we can gather um, safely. So the so the thing about this market, this extra special thing, is that we are requiring masks, high quality masks, um, practicing that radical community care, showing solidarity with and for our immunocompromised and uh, disabled community of which we are part of. So that's been really important for us. And just to show up and show out for QT BIPOC artists. I mean, there's so many barriers that we face as artists and especially during this ongoing pandemic. So we really wanted to have a space where we could gather safely, where we could celebrate each other you know, hold our grief together, but ultimately celebrate our joy and our wins of the year. 
and the cute things that you've made. Was it hard to find space that was really accessible, like really able to accommodate a wide swath of abilities and needs in the space that you wanted to hold? And again, like you're in Holyoke. That's, I think, in no small part, making it accessible to a larger swath of people to begin with. But yeah, did you have trouble finding space that was exact, that was what you wanted? Thankfully, we have access to a space that is wheelchair accessible, um, that has all gender bathrooms, that has high ceilings. Um, and this was a huge factor in us being able to hold this event. So yeah, but I mean, it is it is very hard to find spaces, especially a lot of venues who, you know, they're not continuing with masking. And, and it's such a simple thing that we can do to prevent each other getting sick and sicker. So we've really found that we had to like create our own space to do this. This is one of many things that we've provided over the past two years. We also provide creative community circles, Julie and I, where we invite especially QT BIPOC artists and community. Um, both of us are visual artists and poets and performers and dancers. So whenever we get together, we always want to bring in the different types of arts um, and different types of expression. Um, so we're inviting people in to do that. And you'll see a lot of that at the, the market too. There's going to be some performances. There's going to be poetry poetry, percussion, some spoken word. I, I recently was published in an anthology, so I'll be reading some poetry. We're going to have some fierce vendors selling original crochet items, art prints, some super high-res stickers, um, just really cool items made by local queer folk. Congratulations on getting published, by the way. Thank you. We're speaking with Abby Russell, who is at the helm of the Holiday Queer QT BIPOC Art Market in Holyoke uh, that's happening this Saturday from 1 to 5. Abby, you were mentioning how you are centering disability justice, trying to make COVID safer spaces, and of course, uh, QT BIPOC people who are at the center of this market. What's interesting, especially given that we're kind of publicizing it, is that the location is not being disclosed. And this is also for uh, for safety reasons? Yeah, so in the spirit of being COVID safer, um, we are trying to limit capacity. So we're asking that folks who are interested contact us. Um, I can give my email. It's blkglittermagic at gmail.com. That's a good way to reach us. Also, Instagram, BLK Glitter Magic, that's Black Glitter Magic. So we're just trying to have a little bit more an eye on community care and how we keep us safe. And and part of that is also limiting numbers. Another thing that's interesting, too, is if you do go on the social medias about this, a lot of the artists have been posted on there. And there's ways to, if you still feel not safe enough to come to the market itself, that you can support these artists either by you know buying their, their stuff online or even just supporting them through, say, Venmo, etc., Yes, we definitely encourage you, you know, if you can't make it out for whatever reason, we hope that you will support our artists. If you email me or if you follow me on Instagram, you can see the various Venmos of artists. We want to provide so many more spaces like this and we want to keep these markets going and have them happen more than just during around the winter holiday time. We're always accepting donations for our artist funds and we would greatly appreciate any donation. We organize this ourselves. Uh, we don't get paid to do this. I think we're maybe one of the few, if only, markets that doesn't charge vendors to participate. So we really uh, would appreciate community support so we can keep going and keep offering these necessary spaces. 
not charging vendors to to come and display is a big mm. big move that's that's awesome because often there's like table charges of varying rates for people to come and and be there and if you don't sell like that ends up being like digging into your wallet so just being able to present without worrying about it is a nice hill to overcome but i want to ask you about incorporating performance into the market because that's fun and new and why and how yeah well as i mentioned before julissa my uh, co-organizer and partner artist and i we we are multi-disciplined artists so we we perform and we write and we do visual art and they're kind of you know inseparable from each other um so we'll be selling some of our visual art but we also just wanted to anytime we invite community in we want it to feel like celebration you know it's not just it's not just a market it's not just about making money although it's very important for us artists at this slow time of year to make money but we also want to create spaces where people feel held and feel comfortable and feel good as i mentioned before connection is everything so we want people to feel like you know they've stepped into someone's living room and they're able to like sit for a while and hear about what other people are feeling and thinking and and hold hold each other in this time of grief and a lot of despair but you know ultimately coming back to joy the importance of spaces like this and markets like this in the universe of queer joy and BIPOC joy and varying abilities joy, just creating a space to engender that and your feelings on making that space and how successful you feel like you've been in doing so. Yeah, I mean, we've held some things on a smaller scale, groups of anywhere to like four to 15-ish people, similar spaces like this where we center QT BIPOC voices and stories and joy, where we dance together, where we share stories. People have been really receptive and they've been like, hey, you know, we need this. We really need this. It's, it's easy to do because it's like it's a passionate thing for us. It's, it's <laughs> we need these spaces and our people need these spaces and they are appreciative of them. And we want to be able to offer them in more places. Abby Russell, who's behind this holiday queer QT BIPOC art market in Holyoke happening on Saturday between one and five. I know it's unfair for you to pick favorites and things, but let's just say you are very excited because you will get to see or purchase what that is going to be at this market. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's original collages. There's crochet items. We have some folks that are, are traveling a little bit further from eastern Massachusetts. Ankana, the Harami artist, has some beautiful knits. The things that she can do with knits, like you never, you would never imagine. Um I'm really excited for Indies, like stickers and their posters. I don't know. There's too many good things. Too many good things. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good problem to have, though, yeah, right? That's a good like, yeah, that's An abundance of good. Your feelings about the visibility of the BIPOC community at other makers markets across Western Mass, because I know that I, when I'm there, when I'm at other like artisan markets, because I want to support local regardless, I know that inherently I beeline towards the people of color to see what they've got because that's like extra community that I am supporting. But it's always like a handful and yeah. not just in creating the space for a pile of BIPOC people to 
that's a, the worst term I could use for a group of people, for a group of BIPOC people <laughs> to be together um, showing their wares. But I feel like simultaneously, it kind of should be a message to have us incorporated more and our safeties incorporated more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, being in Western Massachusetts, just in general, there are so few opportunities where we are able to be in QT BIPOC Uh, centered and led spaces and a lot of times those are discouraged a a lot of times we have to create our own spaces and that's a big reason why we created this market because there aren't any other markets that in this area that are solely centering QT BIPOC as vendors and so we're like we need to create our own spaces we create our safety we hold that space and the leadership is really important too because it's 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 not enough to say like oh we're gonna have half of our vendors be BIPOC that's not quite where we want to be we want to be in spaces that are majority BIPOC led and that you have that representation in the artists and performers and vendors who are there Abby Russell, organizer of the Holiday Queer QT BIPOC Art Market happening in Holyoke on Saturday. You can email blackglittermagic at gmail.com for more information and the specific location so that you can go and participate and, you know, share the artisan love. Are masks going to be provided or do you need to bring your own? Bring your own if you have them, but we'll also have some at the door. That's good because people forget. And sometimes those people are me, even though I know that masks are required. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you all. Merry Making Music is coming up with Kimaya Diggs as she prepares for the third annual Kimaya Diggs and Friends Holiday Show at the Drake. Which sounds like a great celebration to ring in with some bubbles. We'll taste sparkling wine with Michael Quinlan, Table and Vine Ambassador. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. There is a proper way to open sparkling wine. Michael Quinlan? Ooh! <laughs> That's one version of it. You can do the silent but deadly version. The little psh. That's how Which I usually do it. Yeah. Where yeah. I get a towel because I don't want to hurt anything. Like the National Eye Association this time of year, every year, puts out a PSA about like, don't shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Sparkling wine <laughs> is dangerous. Shoot your eye out. Is this, you gonna do the whisper one now? Ah, the relief. Take Take off the the foil, take off the cage. Put your hand or a towel over the cork. The big wheel turns the little wheel. Hold onto the cork, turn the bottom of the bottle. That's the easiest way to do it, to not injure yourself. The same way that you would for a metal cap. You you twist the skirt, you don't twist the cap. And we're drinking sparkling wine. Tap the bottle and twist the cap. And the Wine Thunderdome at Table and Vine in West Springfield with Beverage Ambassador, Michael Quinlan. <laughs> That's a good one. I, that, I, maybe I should ask if I can change my title to Beverage Ambassador. What are you, Wine Ambassador? Table and Vine Ambassador. Oh, just not. Ruler of all I survey. Everything the light touches is Michael Quinlan's <laughs> kingdom. <laughs> and we're drinking sparkling wine. Drinking sparkling wine. These are both French sparkling wines. They're both Cremant. So they're not champagne. Any sparkling wine made in France that follows the same laws of champagne is entitled to crema of the place it comes from. So the first one is Pierre Spar, Cremant d'Alsace. So it's from the Alsatian region, oh. Pinot Noir, done in sparkling formation. I don't get so- I like all those words together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really get too judgy about people's wine to their face, but if you call sparkling wine that is not from champagne champagne it really drives me nuts so like my mother-in-law will be like i got a bottle of champagne downstairs and it's like lambrusco <laughs> jessica's got bubbles in it it's not champagne yes. don't get my hopes up like this <laughs> but 
Champagne is not where sparkling wine originated, contrary to the popular Don Perignon myth. Could have originated in lots of different locations, but the best evidence, it seems, is that it was from Lemieux, right? Which yeah, is another place. Yeah, down in the south, yeah. southern part of France. But it seems like Don Perignon himself was the one that really figured out how to capture the bubbles very efficiently. So, so he has a role. He, oh, a major role. Okay. And a major price tag. Yeah. Yes. Overrated. Just but go yeah. get it if you want. <laughs> Agreed. All right, so tell us about this Pierre Spa, Cremant so, d'Alsace. It's 100% Pinot Noir. What's interesting about this that I think makes it a particularly good value, because the way champagne, the way sparkling wine really gets great is from aging on the lees, right? So after... What are the lees for those? The lees are the dead yeast cells. So after fermentation is completed, of course, the wine is fermented in the bottle. So after those yeast cells are dead, because they've fi finished their work, they're left in there, and they add so much flavor to the wine just from being there. And the other thing is, the longer that a wine ages on its lees, the finer the bubbles get. It's pink. It's pink, it's pink. too. Uh, almost always, uh, rosé sparkling wines are more expensive than non-rosé sparkling wines. And yeah. a lot of people also don't know that Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, which are two big grapes in sparkling wines, especially in France, are red grapes. Right. Yeah. Almost every red grape on the planet, if you cut it open, the flesh on the inside is, is white. It's just pulp, all right? But, and so all of the color comes from the skins. And this one has nice color. It's delicious. It's, it's not delicious. as as yeasty as some sparkling wines I've had. It's not as funky as I expect from a Pinot Noir. I love 100% Pinot Noir sparkling wines. This is really fun. Yeah, yeah. So this is a brute, so it qualifies for brute, but I, I find this to be pretty rich. Uh, I wouldn't say it's sweet exactly, but rich. Brute is drier than dry. Than extra dry. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Which is a term they made for Americans. Yeah. Right? Like, extra dry is not sold anywhere else on the planet. Uh-huh. Except here. Arid extra dry. Don't be shy. You can use it as uh, underarm deodorant. <laughs> get a little closer with arid extra dry. To get close. Don't lick it. It could be delicious. No. If it was if it's champagne. The aluminum out, you can lick it. Champagne proper. Hard to get for, like, less than... Let's say 45, 50 bucks, kind of minimum on most yeah, of the time. Mostly, yeah, 37, 38 dollars is where the bottom of champagne is now. But cremants are made oftentimes almost as elegant a style and are usually much more affordable. Agreed. I love the acid on this too. It's just a really nice cleaning thing at the yeah, end happening. Yeah. It whispers at the end, right? It just, drink me. <laughs> drink me. Hmm, better look first. Okay, sparkling wine in the Thunderdome at Table and Vine in West Springfield with Michael Quinlan, number one, the Cremant d'Alsace Pierre Spa. So we're going to go a little further south, but not south. You're still pretty far north and have Cremant de Bourgogne for the second wine. This is Baron Aimé. Uh, this one is not 100% Pinot Noir. It's 85% Pinot Noir. The other 15 is Chard. And Which is not an uncommon kind of yeah, thing to very, do for a sparkling very wine. Normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very normal. Yeah, very normal. And it's cool because it's red and white. A red grape of Pinot Noir and a white grape of Chardonnay in it. Ironically breadier smelling than the 100% Pinot Noir. Nowhere. This that gets more to do with the lees, though, than the grape itself. But this, uh, funny enough, this wine gets less aging on the lees, but I think it's had more time in bottle. The spire mm -hmm. is like super young, I think, and you can see from the color it's pinker. Mm -hmm. uh, this one has a little more of that sort of orange copper kind of thing. My favorite thing about sparkling wines is when I smell it and it smells like a loaf of bread or creme brulee, yep. and any sparkling wine that does that is always going to be a winner for me, and this one yeah. clearly has yeah. a ton it more bread, and it I love it. It smells like brioche. Yeah, yeah. This is really well-made stuff. It's made by a winery in, in Burgundy, kind of in the heart of Burgundy, and they've been making wine there for 130 years, so it's, I think they've got a little experience. Mm -hmm. I love it. Baron Aimé. Oh, wow. What do you like to eat with sparkling wines? 
whatever I can get my mitts on. <laughs> I love sparkling wine. It's really something that, you know, we drink at home, you know, when we can. Uh, we actually had, had, we had a bottle of champagne last night. Well, with, uh, ambassador, must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a stir fry uh, that was super fun. And I feel like champagne does that, right? Like a little spicy stir fry. Yeah. If even like chicken fricassee with like sort of the cream in the sauce, that richness, champagne still does that well. It's so versatile. And also really great sometimes when you're just standing around with friends and glasses. Hey. Oh. Cheers. <laughs> I had sparkling wine last night too, but it wasn't champagne. I'm a radio host, not an ambassador. <laughs> I just bought a bottle for my best friend's mom. Nice. Of for champagne Christmas or just, of champagne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have to save up for that. Like, but she's uh, worth it. She's amazing. Uh-huh. I usually buy one bottle of champagne a year. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year! But when you have those occasions, I feel like real champagne just goes to a different level, right? This is delicious, right? It has exactly, we were talking about the brioche thing, but champagne, oof. Tell us why you think that is. I think it has to do with the aging. I think it has to do with the soil. Like the great chalk that we understand of the White Cliffs of Dover resurfaces in Champagne, right? This is the same chalk terroir and it just gives the wine so much power. That's what makes Champagne different is the, is the power. And, and really, honestly, one of the reasons that Prosecco's become so popular is because Champagne's sort of naturally bitter too. And like Prosecco's so soft. But that bitterness, that sort of intensity of flavor means everything to me in Champagne. Mm -hmm. Some people might not understand why still wine exists and then how do they get the bubbles in the champagne? So how do the bubbles he get starts. in there? Yes. I'm glad you said it, not me. Right, exactly. So grapes are harvested, wine is produced to about 10% alcohol, so it stopped then while it still has sugar in it. Then it's bottled. This is a champagne method, right? Then it's bottled. There's a little bit of yeast still in there, there's sugar in there, and then the fermentation restarts in the bottle. So the derivative of fermentation is CO2, so it's trapped. Uh, in the wine. And it would have, in a vat or whatever, right. escaped would have been and released. been still, they keep yeah. those bubbles in the bottle. Yeah, exactly. And usually they're put like a, with a with a beer cap or a crown cap on the bottle and then they, they're able to pull that off and put the cork in pretty rapidly to preserve the bubbles. You know, you can imagine what it was like before technology allowed this to be done by machine. When people are doing it by hand, they must have been soaked, right? Like every right. time you're like, okay, quick, quick, get the cork in, you know, and they're just like getting sprayed with champagne. It was like you won the World Series every day at work. <laughs> you're working in champagne. It is like you won the World Series every day at work. You don't necessarily need to drink sparkling wine in a champagne flute, but we are. We are today. We often don't at home. Uh, when I'm at home, I use, uh, we use actually even like burgundy glass, even like big wide glasses for champagne because the aromatics are definitely undervalued in champagne. That's like the difference between having it in a flute and having it in something like a coupe, right? Like right. you get just more space for it to, yeah. to release all of those scents for you to inhale. By the way, we're not just using flutes, we're using table and vine branded champagne flutes. I, they are gorgeous. Yeah, they're not for sale. A lot of times people use flutes because it's easier to make your glass look like it has a lot in it when there's a little glass. And so if you have to buy lots of bottles of champagne for say a wedding, a little goes a long yeah, way a goes in a, a flute. Don't fill it too high because it's gonna foam over, right? So right, you just, just put a little bit in there perfect. and you drink it and you're like, that's it? I've never been able to verify this, but I have heard that there was a time on the BBC when they would be broadcasting and people would push a champagne cart around so that the presenters could drink champagne while they were presenting the news on the BBC. I Is that how they were using the taxpayers' dollars? Because that's state-funded. Winston Churchill was big into champagne. So. I mean, yes, but also, <laughs> I haven't finished this bottle. They can have the rest. Right. Paul Roger, right? That was the one he liked? Yeah. Half bottle every day at lunch, supposedly. 
And I think, I don't know if he actually said this or not, but during World War II saying like, remember, we fight not only for France, but for Champagne. And I kind of love that. I believe the first draft was that was probably the other way around. And like his advisors were like, you can't, can't say it that you way. Can't, you can't say sir, it that way, sir. Sir, can we, swip, can we swap that? <laughs> no, I have my priorities. <laughs> Both of these are delicious. But do you have a favorite? Yeah, it's the Baronum. Michael Quinlan, do you have a favorite? I'm going with the same. Baron Aimee. It's unanimous. It's unanimous. I'm voting also for the uh, Snoopy and the Red Baron Aimee. A funny looking dog with a big black nose. Pink Baron in this case. And oh, yeah, he's gaining a little bit extra funk like on second pass. Yeah. Like, and just, mm. A tiny bit less bread, a tiny bit more funk. But, it's, but that's a good trade. I think to me it's a good progression of this wine. And you said this is, we're not allowed to talk specific prices, but affordable. Affordable, yeah. yeah. You say this is the best affordable sparkling wine you've got. In Tub, Tubman-ish. But like the, the Pierre Spar is like, if you've got somebody who thought that champagne was a little bracing, like maybe put off by the bitterness of it, like that's a great entry into what sparkling wine can really do and do well. It's got that great Alsatian finesse thing going on. The whole region. So lovely. Remember when Pinot Noir wouldn't be able to do this? This is like the only good thing about our planet getting warmer. Oh, no. The only good thing. Pinot Noir can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can get ripeness out of it now, or you can get flavor this far north. Mm. Right in a place that they never dreamed of making red wine before. Like there are people that are like, oh, my grandfather, he like wondered why we even had it, you Mm -hmm. know, but well. That means we have to like stop it at here where we got to the sweet spot before we, we lose them all and also coffee and chocolate. Yeah. We fight not only uh, for global climate change, but for champagne. And coffee and chocolate. Yeah. Every day of our lives. Every day. <laughs> we don't need another Police keeps threatening to re-record that. I and will eventually because I can't live in. like this and we shouldn't be forced to listen to that. I love it. It's not uh, good. I did a little fact-checking on those Winston Churchill uh, and BBC champagne-related things. And according to the International Churchill Society of Champagne, Winston S. Churchill famously said to uh, the creator of Paul Roger Champagne and others, quote, in victory I deserve it, in defeat I need it talking about champagne and it's not france we are fighting for but champagne (laughs) and i looked up to see about the bbc and uh sparkling wine i couldn't prove that their actual presenters are drinking sparkling wine while on the air but there is an article from a few years ago bbc keeps a cork on the champagne but spends more on sparkling wine corporation's total alcohol expense bill for 2013 came to 42,000 pounds <laughs> but and the the BBC was trying to do exactly what we were just trying to do right there which is not put up any red flags by buying champagne proper but by buying other sparkling wines so come on let's up our game NEPM and WGBH our parent company okay <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, it's time to missile those toes and tan in your bombs with Kimaya Diggs on this very holiday-oriented live music Friday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith, and it's Live Music Friday, and there's only 10 days before the big C. Let's make it holiday style with a local songstress bringing holiday festivities to the Drake in Amherst. One part jazz show, one part campy variety, and one part elf magic. 
If that's a thing, the Kimaya Diggs and Friends Holiday Show is for lovers of tinsel, sing-along fanatics, and folks who want to kick off the holiday season in style. Whether your holidays feel joyful or blue, the Kimaya Diggs and Friends Holiday Show welcomes you with open arms and the ringing of silver bells. The show also promises holiday costumes, which you are encouraged to arrive in as well, and decorations and just good end-of-the-year vibes all around. Thanks for joining us, Kimaya. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. We're glad to have you back. I think we mentioned before that you might be the... I think the second, because we had Cloudbelly in twice, but you weren't here for one of them. That's but you're true. The second guest to come back twice in our 201 shows here in the Fabulous Four. <laughs> wow, I feel honored. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about the organization of this show before we have you sing a song. Sure. Because, like, every show requires a bit of prep, but, like, when you're bringing your friends onto the bill, also, it isn't. Not unlike herding kittens and getting everybody to to participate. So, what made you bring your friends along for a holiday show? Why do a holiday show at all? Sure. So, I did the first holiday show um, two years ago. This is the third annual show, um, and I had had a loss in my family. And looking towards the holidays, I just it looked kind of bleak, and there was so much joy and cheer all around, and I didn't feel like it was you know it was for me. And I wanted to create a space for people to celebrate the holiday season, but also to gather because the days are short. It is, it's a tough time of year in a lot of ways, but it's also a joyful time. And I wanted to make a space to encompass all of that. And the best way I could do that was to include my dear friends. There's an abundance of incredible talent and wonderful musicians in the Valley, as we all know. And when I was thinking towards this first difficult holiday season for me, I was thinking, who did I want to be with? Who did I want to have by my side? And it was my friends um, and collaborators and local music. Tell us about who some of those friends and collaborators collaborators will be tomorrow at the Drake. Sure. So all the members of Lux Deluxe are going to be there on Love stage. It. Jake you Edwards. You mean your backing band? Yes. Yes. <laughs> my backing band. Uh, Jake Edwards, Jacob Brazaza, Kayla Brazaza, and Ned King. The amazing twinning country duo King Manzi will be there. Elliot Lee Friesen from... Uh, Brattleboro, Robbie Reuter, who's a staple in the jazz scene alongside Paul Arslanian, my bandmate and friend Naomi Nye, uh, Sierra Fragale from the Berkshires, and Wallace Field. And I can't wait. We had a lot of those folks on we the uh, Live Music Friday over the course of the last year, too. We That's have indeed. Awesome. So shall we hear a holiday song this sure. Live Music Friday? Kimaya Diggs. Kimaya Diggs and Friends Holiday Show at the Drake in Amherst tomorrow. Awesome. This one's called um, Alone at Christmas. It's not as sad as it sounds. Um, I have a big family, and sometimes when you get to those big family gatherings after shopping nonstop for several weeks, you need a little moment. Just need to go out and sit in your car by yourself for five minutes. <laughs> and cry. Uh, yeah, so maybe cry. But then you come back in, and there's the family, there's the kids, there's all of the joy, and this song is about, about those feelings. Sometimes the bells ring far too loud It's dizzying, you're in a crowd Sometimes the snow gleams deep and high Lost in all the details of the day Sometimes an evening at 
at home makes you think perhaps this year I'll stay alone at Christmas alone at Christmas it sounds so sad it's not that bad nowhere else to be Sometimes the season is hard to bear The gifts to buy The clothes to wear Sometimes the cheer all too much it breaks your heart breaks you apart sometimes the stockings the tree and the star leave you feeling lonely as before sometimes the shopping Kimaya Diggs, Kimaya Diggs and Friends holiday show at the Drake in Amherst tomorrow. So asking for a me, because I have been asked by other people to write holiday songs, and I freeze immediately because I'm like, what do you do? What makes a good holiday song, or and do you find it easy to do? Hmm. Both times that I've written holiday songs, I've approached it differently than how I approach writing other songs. With other songs, I'm sort of like, let me see what I can express. Let me just play around and experiment. With holiday songs, I found because you kind of have to align with certain tropes, I think that's the blessing and the curse of holiday music. <laughs> there is a strong place for you to fit into. Um, I found that it helps for me to say, okay, this is the exact story that I want to be telling and then go from there. So I wanted to capture this idea of for this song being alone, but choosing to be alone because of the various things that make the holidays different and then finding a lot of joy in your solitude. And that's where I started. Because the other thing about holiday music, because it's a little, it's pretty cute genre of music, you can't get too complicated. It can't be, I can't have a very, I mean, this narrative was almost too complex. I was like, how do I explain this song in 
three little verses. Um, but it's, you know, it has to be fairly straightforward. And I, I tried to just embrace the great tradition that I'm trying to be a part of, of songs that don't try to get too deep. <laughs> it was deep enough. I mean, yeah. I was getting all emotional. And that's what uh, I love about holiday music, this bittersweet quality to it. I've mm-hmm. been talking, Kalise and I are going to talk about some of our favorite like holiday music and stuff next week on the show. Awesome. But like the things that always relate to me are the sad and bittersweet <laughs> holiday songs. I, I find myself loving those the most. What What are some like of your absolute favorites and by whom that are, you know, that you'll you're inspired by and or that you just put on when you need to feel the feels. Yeah, I I would say Santa Baby, Eartha Kitt's version, classic. Controversial because some people don't consider this to be a Christmas song, but I love Sarah Vaughn's version of My Favorite Things. Mm -hmm. The way that she sings the first half is just so stunning to me. Um, And then I do, I really love everything that Nat King Cole did. All of his Christmas music is so gorgeous. And then I don't know if I like this song, but it is a notable song that I love to return to every year, which is Michael Buble's version of Santa Baby, which is so aggressively (laughs) heterosexual. He's he's like Santa buddy. Bring me a 54 convertible steel blue. And I'm like, wow. This is a very, Blue is a very steel? manly oh. version of oh, I don't, I don't Santa know. Baby. Like, it's maybe... very intense. Betsy, our engineer, gave two thumbs up. Like, yeah. You know, because like, like maybe he's into bears. You don't know. You yeah. never know, right? You never yeah. know. It's a, it's a great version, though. <laughs> well, Kimaya's third annual holiday show is happening at the Drake on Saturdays at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock? It's at 8 o'clock. 8 yeah. o'clock. What are... Are you covering any of these songs? I am, yeah. So it's going to be a set mostly of classic holiday tunes, a handful of originals by me and other people, actually. Um, King Manzi's going to do an original tune. Um, and then lots and lots of classic jazz standards, because I, I grew up singing jazz, and it's an op- this show's an opportunity for me to sort of go back to those roots. I yeah, love fantastic. it. And I see that you have like a holiday EP, One More Holiday. Is that, I do. Yeah, uh, that is what I will be listening to on the drive home this evening. Thank and then you. I will drive by myself alone in my car and cry, <laughs> which is my favorite thing to do. Yes, happy holidays. holidays to you. <laughs> <laughs> You've made the sadder it's, holiday music, which is exactly what he's. But it's for. it's yeah, it helps me out. It, it really it's cathartic, and that was so beautiful. I can't wait to listen to the EP on the drive home. Kimaya Diggs, who's a uh, holiday show with friends, is at the Drake tomorrow in Amherst. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and see you tomorrow. Yes. Next week on the show, we'll reveal the solid sound lineup with Wilco's Jeff Tweedy. We'll also hear about First Night in Northampton with Northampton Arts Council event producer Steve Sanderson. We'll find out what the White House holiday party is like with one of the attendees, Western New England School of Law professor Jen Taub. And not all the holidays are about cheer. We'll find out about the scarier side of Christmas with folklorist Jeff Belanger. And maybe like Monty alluded to, we'll share some of our favorite movies and music and a couple of games you can get for your friends in case you're waiting till the last minute to buy them gifts. And don't forget, we want to hear about your favorite places or most impressive light displays in our area. We've got two submissions from Greenfield already. Send pictures of the best light displays in your neighborhood to thefab413 at nepm.org. We'll see you next week on The Fabulous 413.